Good morning, and uh, happy Father's Day to those of you who, to whom that applies. It's a beautiful day, full of rain and sogginess, so um, that's awesome, so I hope you enjoy that. Uh, we're really glad that you came here, um, in here, and spent a portion of your morning with us today. We have been in a series um, where we started a couple weeks ago that we've been talking about four, all right, we've called it four, and I want to catch you up, maybe you're a guest with us and we're glad you're here, but I want to catch you up on what we've said so far about four, all right? What we've noticed is our culture and our news media and our social media and our conversations just in our relationships often focus on what we are against, on, on the things and the people that we are against, and it's everywhere, and I think you, you sense that. What's also true, we've, we've noticed, is that this is also true of the church. Many people see church and Christians, and they think what the church is against, okay? And the truth is, many people are familiar what the church is against, but we want to be known for what we are for. And what White Oak Christian Church wants to do is we want to, in the communities where we are surround, where we at, in the relationships that we surround, we want to reclaim for, that we are for Ross and the surrounding communities. We are for Colerain Township and the surrounding communities. We are for Cincinnati. We are for our schools. We are for kids. We are for our neighbors. We are for people that we may never meet that live all the way around the globe, people who desperately need to feel the hope of Jesus. We're for them too. And that's what we've meant as we've talked about four along the way. Now, this is, this is the funnest part about it, okay? And we've said this too, that this wasn't our idea. We didn't come up with this because we thought it sounded good or that we should be about people because that feels like, you know, humanitarian, that feels nice. We, we are for others because God is for us. It was his idea and he initiated it. And because God is for us, we are for other people, right? God offers us an abundant, fullest version of real life possible. That's why we are for others, because God has given that to us. That's what we mean by for. It is said that the second most recognizable symbol in the entire world, get this, the second most recognizable symbol all over the world is Coca-Cola, Okay? Coca-Cola has done a fantastic job of getting its brand out to the entire world, all right? It's part of the reason, part of, the reason of that is Coke's vision and their goals have been very, very simple. They want to get a Coke within arm's reach of everybody on the planet, okay? That's their goal. Now, I, I've had the blessing of being able to travel um, a little bit on, on, on mission trips and doing ministry in other places in the world, particularly Haiti, Honduras, uh, Mexico, and each time I've been to those places, I've been to a different city, different neighborhoods, different villages, and um, always in these neighborhoods, there is a little corner market somewhere that's pretty close within walking distance of anywhere you go. Now, these little corner markets, they're truly little corner markets, and they don't offer a whole lot, but I will tell you, there is one product that every single one of them has, and guess what it is? It's Coca-Cola. Yeah, it's Coke. And it comes in the glass bottles. And some of the times it's like made with real sugar um, cane, pure sugar cane. It's, it's just amazing. Um, it's just the way to do it. But, but that, it's, it's everywhere. Okay, it's everywhere. In some ways, that's a crazy goal that Coca-Cola ha- wants a Coke with an arm's reach of 7 billion people. 
That's their goal. All right? And, and Coke continues to make strides toward that. All right? Now, why is that? If they're passionate about something. They're passionate about their product. There's a lot of people in Coca-Cola that have this, uh, this abundant passion for caramel-colored sugar water. Right? They love it. And they want you to love it. They want 7 billion people to love it. They really believe in it. Now, you'll notice that I say Coca-Cola is the second most recognizable symbol in the world. Right? Do you imagine what the first one is? Any ideas? Some, I hear so, it's the cross. Yeah, it's the cross. That is said to be the most recognizable symbol. And like Coca-Cola, the church has a mission. We've got some work to do. Because we have people that surround in this community that have no idea what that symbol really means. They have no idea what it stands for and the lengths to which their Heavenly Father went to win them back. So White Oak Christian Church has our job cut out for us. Sometimes at White Oak, we talk about, in some of our meetings with our staff and our leaders, we talk about that if you were to draw a five-mile radius around our location, so a five-mile radius around, um, around Ross High School, or five-mile radius around, around um, the, our Coleraine facility, and if you were to do that, um, and we reached 1%, 1% of the people in the, in, in the radius there, right? There would be multiple thousands of people that would be a part of what God is doing at and through White Oak in our communities. Now, that's, exciting. that's an exciting number, but it's just 1% of the people that, we, that you and I, that's people you and I have contact with, that's people you go to school with or that you work next to or that you live next to. Just 1% of people in five-mile radius it's thousands of people who don't know what the cross really means and the links that their Heavenly Father went to win them back. And so what do we do about that? Coca-Cola would say that they've, they've, they would never say that they've reached enough people, right? They would never say that. Coca-Cola would say there is more people to reach. There is more people to reach, so let's keep pouring money into Southeast Asia. Let's keep pouring money into Central America. Let's keep pouring money and advertisement into the Caribbean islands because there's more people that need a Coke. So let it never be said, okay, that the executives at Coca-Cola are more passionate about colored, color, caramel-colored sugar water than the church is about Jesus. We win there. That's us. So what are we going to do? Coca-Cola doesn't focus on their successes. But they focus on the potential. And if the church is going to do that, listen, we just did make a sports camp a couple weeks ago. Okay, that's our, 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 our biggest outreach into our community where we invite children to come. And 270 kids came. All right, and to our mega sports camp, and, and, and they got to, we got to pour into them relationships and fun and skills and life and, and the message of, of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that their God loves them desperately. And we got to share that with 270 kids, and we will celebrate that all day long. Okay, but we will not focus on our successes and the things that we have accomplished. Okay, because God has not just has not blessed us with success; He's blessed us with potential. Our potential is the number of people that are in and around our communities that see a symbol of a cross and think they know what it means, but they don't.
So today we're going to talk about one of the ways that White Oak is going to accomplish this mission. On your programs, it says that we are for common ground. And that's true, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. And I want you to write in something on the front of your program there, right next to that. And this is what I want you to write, it, write in there. We are for those who have said no. We are for those who have said no. Why don't you think more people believe in Jesus? Why is it that more people aren't part of a local church? What do you think? Why is it that people choose not to believe that what God says in his word is best and true for your life and mine? Why is it that a lot of people don't believe that? It's actually quite simple, really. They've just simply said no to it. They've said no to Jesus. They've said no to church. They've said no to believing that what God says is true, is really true for them and for all of us. And I don't know, at some point, all of us really, I guess I do know this, at some point, all of us have been there. At some point, all of us had said no. And if you are a follower of Jesus, at some point, you said yes. And some of us maybe aren't there yet, and that's okay. Some of, you, some of us are, this morning are in this room, and, we, and we, we're still saying no in our hearts and in our heads. Right? And, and people say no for all kinds of reasons, and you can't always know why. There's been some experience that they've had um, with, with a Christian or with religion or with church that has jaded them or burned them or, or disinterested them. Okay? It's just something that they just don't believe, and so they said no. There's some lack of understanding, or get this, no one's ever told them. All right? And so for whatever reason, people have said no to faith. And to Jesus. And today I want to talk to us about a mindset. I want to give us a formula, if you will, of how very practically, and right now I'm talking to those of us who are followers of Jesus and those of us who are part of the White Oak family. And if that's not you, I'm so glad you're here. And so what's really cool for you is, is you get to kind of just lean in and listen because I want to talk to those of us who claim Jesus as our Savior so that you who don't can know what we're about to know that what we are for, right? We want our responses to those who have said no. We want our community to know that we are for them. And more importantly, that we have a heavenly father who is for them as well. So how are we going to accomplish this? The first thing is that we are gonna focus on our potential. Not on the things that we've done, we're going to focus on what's yet to happen, the ground that we still need to take, the people who have said no that God desperately loves. We're going to focus on our potential. Luke, who um, wrote one of the biographies of Jesus' life in the New Testament, he tells us of this encounter that Jesus had in Luke chapter 19. And I want us to look at it in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, um, download White Oak's app. And um, there's a link to a great Bible app on there, actually. Um, you can find it through there. You can pick up an actual, like, paper Bible at the hub um, on your way out, the blue curtained area. Grab that. We want to have God's word in our hand as we study. Let's look at it, Luke 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector in that region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. 
So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. I was joking. There's a song that goes with that. You want to hear me sing it? Yes, you no. I heard a lot of no's, heard some yeses. I'm not going to, all right? Um, but there is a song that starts out with Zacchaeus was a wee little man, all right? And if you want to hear that, you can ask me later, and I will sing it for you at the hub. Um, I won't do that. <laughs> Don't ask. It's not going to happen, all right? Zacchaeus was a Jewish man, however. Zacchaeus was a Jewish man who had sold out his countrymen and his faith and his community by going to work for an occupying government. Zacchaeus was a tax collector for the Roman government, and he um, was a chief tax collector. And so he actually had like a pyramid scheme going where he recruited and hired other people to collect taxes for him. So he was at the top and he had other guys working for him. And one of the duties of the tax collector, or one of the common practices of tax collectors in the first century in the, Medi- in the Mediterranean world, was that they would cheat the people they taxed. They would threaten them, they would beat them up, and they would cheat their ta- their, their, his own countrymen, his own Jewish race, out of taxes to gain wealth for himself. So he was despised by his countrymen. He was, he was not welcomed in their community. He was not welcomed in synagogue. They hated him. He had turned his back on faith in order for a little green. And it happens. And that's his story. But what intrigues me about this part of the story is that he also has an interest in Jesus. One thing that you will notice when you read the New Testament, and I just go ahead and read the book of Luke. Jesus always intrigued sinners. They loved him. They were intrigued by him. They wanted to be around him. Fascinating. Because I don't know that people often feel that way about us or the church. Actually, I'm sure that they don't. But Zacchaeus felt that. There was something about Jesus. And here's what's interesting about that. People who have said no to Jesus or faith or church in the past, still often have an interest in spiritual things, don't they? Here's something really, really fascinating. Thomas Rayner, um, author, ch- church leader, um, he, he um, interviewed or surveyed 2,000 um, unchurched Americans, people who for whatever reason had said no to church. They weren't going, they weren't attending. If they had, it had been multiple years, right? Many, many years, all right? And this is what he found from 2,000 unchurched people. Look at that. 47% of them would interact freely in a conversation about faith. Almost half of them said they would interact in a conversation about faith. 31% said they would listen actively without participating. So your friends at school, your friends on the bus ride to the next, you know, you know soccer game, um, the lunchroom at work, all right? 31% said they would lean in with great interest and listen, all right? Uh, 12% said they would listen with some discomfort, okay? And we know that's okay. 12% said, uh, only 11% said they would change the subject as soon as possible. Only 11%. Okay? Eight out of ten Americans are interested in conversations about faith in Jesus. Eight out of ten. And 51% said they would respond favorably to an invitation to church from a neighbor or friend. Do you believe that? It's hard. See, our church came, White Oak Christian Church came to Ross Township after our leadership prayed and prayed and sought out spaces in our city. We said, where can we go? We had a pool of people who were driving from Okeana, Oxford, and Ross area to White Oak and Colerain. Anyway, we went to them, and, and lo and behold, we started this 10 years ago. 
And we came to Ross for a purpose. We came to Ross. In fact, we, we met with and talked to some other church leaders of other local churches in our area. And we said, listen, we're coming to Ross Township and we're going to launch, we're going to start meeting in Ross High School, or I don't know that we knew that at the time, but we knew we were coming here. And we said, listen, we want to first and foremost tell you that we are, we're, we're for you and we're for this community. And we're not coming to try to steal away people from your church because we love those people, but we're not here for them. We're not here for other Christians. We are coming to Ross Township because see, we, we see an opportunity to reach out to neighbors and to people who have in the past said no people that had no connection to a church and perhaps no connection in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we're coming to Ross Township. And we came to Ross to say yes to those who have said no. And the majority of your neighbors, the majority of your neighbors are open to an invitation from you. 51% of them would respond favorably. The majority of your friends, they would listen to you if you were to talk about your faith and your experiences with faith. And the problem is, as we are aiming at our potential, is sometimes what gets in the way of that is we often say no for other people. I don't know if you've ever heard of your friends or your neighbors were having a party right? And you found out that you weren't invited. That stings, doesn't it? I mean, you probably never experienced that. It happens to me all the time. But listen, all right? You found out that your friends had a party and you weren't invited. And so some way or another, you kind of come up with this, um, depending on what kind of person you are, you go up and like, what the heck? You might kind of just slide it in if you're a little more subtle. Like, so I heard, you know, you had to get together. Um, why wasn't I invited? And, and they're like, well, oh gosh, you know, you know, it was this group of people. I just didn't think you really connected with them or I didn't think you were available. I thought I remember maybe you saying you were going to be out of town that weekend. And so what happened, and it's happened probably to all of us at some place in time, is they said no for you before you were asked. Happens at my house with leftover birthday cake, okay? Um, I want you to picture this hypothetical situation. There's birthday cake that's left over, and it's been sitting there on the plate for a week, and the icing starts to, um, the oil starts to drain out of the icing. It looks really gross. You know what I'm talking about? You probably don't, it doesn't last that long at your house. I don't know, but it happens, all right? the oil starts to separate from the icing and it looks disgusting. And somebody makes the decision, you've had enough birthday cake and they throw it away, all right? They threw it away and you have no leftover oily, soggy, somewhat stale birthday cake, all right? Somebody said no for you, all right? And they didn't ask, okay? And sometimes we do that. We say, oh, you know what? That person, they're so far away from God or church stuff or religion, there's no way. Or man, they, they, they're not even worth it. They wouldn't be interested. They would laugh at me if I brought it up. They would, they would be, listen, it's only 11%, but you think it's 98% of the people who would change the subject or walk away. And we do. And that is our fear stealing away the potential. And we say no for people before we even ask them. We throw away the cake before we even say, hey, would you like some? And who is it, I wonder, in your life? What name comes to mind? What face do you picture now, right now? 
someone in your circle, doesn't even have to be somebody you like very much, or someone that you know super well, but you've said no for them. Another thing we run into that threatens our potential is that people sometimes, they feel that the church has said no to them. The church has said no to them. That the church has said, you know, um, you're not welcome here. People like you, people with your kind of problem, people who struggle with sin in the area where you struggle with it. And we may not say it out loud, but they get the vibe, you're not welcome here. That you don't belong here for some reason. You've got to clean up some area of your life before you can come and kind of join in what's happening here with us. And I want to tell you something. <laughs> Maybe you've heard this. I don't know. You, perhaps you've said it. Have you ever heard anybody say, man, if I walked into that church, what would happen? Yeah, it would cave in. The ceiling would fall. Some, some version of that. Anybody ever heard that? Anybody ever said that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're in luck. We meet in a high school, so you're okay for now, okay? It didn't collapse. All right, you're fine. Guess what? It's not going to. It's not going to. There's something I need you to know. Is that there is no sin that disqualifies you from belonging here. There is no past experience that you or your neighbors or your friends believe defines them that disqualifies them from belonging here. There is not a question you can wonder or a doubt that you can express that disqualifies you and the people you know from belonging here. One of the ways that people feel like the church has said no to them is because guess what? It has. And another reason is that one, something that can happen to us unintentionally is that we cater to insider thinking. Insider thinking is us thinking about only those who are inside, part of the church, us. This could happen at Coca-Cola, right? Conceivably, Coca-Cola, I would imagine, has fought against insider thinking. And that is where it's just all about us who already are in. If somebody sat in a boardroom at an executive meeting at Coca-Cola and they said, okay guys, here's our numbers, here's our projection, here's our potential, and some moron stood up and said, hey guys, listen, that's a great plan, but I think we've reached enough people with Coke, why don't we just call it a day? They don't do that. No one said that at Coke. They're always focused on their potential. But so why has the church done that? It can happen here, okay? No one's immune from it. No church is immune from this. It happens and it looks like this. Let me paint you a picture. It happens when good-intentioned people, we're assuming that's us, okay, um, say that we don't like change. We get stuck in a rut and we don't like things 
to really differ. Most of you right now, though not all of you, happen to be sitting in a location in this room that you sit in every time you come, right? Right? Why? Because you like it there, right? It feels comfortable. It's what you know. And if it were to change, you would quit, you would quit religion, right? You would have to leave, all right? Because it just can't happen if you're sat somewhere else, right? This happens to us, okay? <laughs> and we laugh, but that has, uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. It happens, all right? But it happens in other ways, too. We say, well, listen, I like my life group this way, and, and my small group is small, and my small group has these people, and if we open it up, it'd be kind of big. We have to get more chairs, and there's new people, and they don't know, and we don't know. So th there's life groups or small groups for other people, but let's just stay, what, the way we are. It happens when we say, listen, we're going to attend that church as long as it's the preaching we like or it's the style of music we prefer or it's offering the programs that, that cater to us. And if it doesn't, and at any time it doesn't, we leave. And if we aren't careful, guys, if White Oak isn't intentional, okay, we're going to start crafting our church for people who are already going to heaven. And for those of us who have, been, who, have been, who have experienced a renewed life, redeemed and reborn through Jesus, we don't need to build a church for us. We're already in. And if we're not careful, insider thinking will get us focused that way. Listen, we are in the middle right now because of our Cannonball Generosity series. And White Oak, you have been so generous in your trust in God and in your financial generosity. It continues to fuel our Cannonball initiative. We are in the design, we are, we are in the middle, smack dab in the middle of the design phase for the Ross facility. For the facility, for the, the building we will build on 27 here, about four miles north. All right? We're right in the middle of the design phase where we're talking about, okay, we've got our square footage, now how can we pack that in? How can we, wh how, what size is this room? And where can we shrink to gain more space over here? Okay, we're having those conversations. The te a team of people is having that right now. And one of the things that we've been saying all along as we designed this building, right, is that we are building it, yes, 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 of course. It's going to be like home base for us, right? It's going like to be like our launching point. For those of us who are part of White Oak and consider Jesus our Savior and White Oak's our church home, it will be the place that we'll come and we'll be encouraged in relationships and we will serve and fuel the ministry in our community and we will come and our kids will come and we will worship together and we will give to each other and we will be equipped, your kids and your teenagers and yourself will be equipped to go into our relationships, to go into our community and actually do what the church is supposed to be about. And that's why we're building that building. But we got to be careful because we said that every room as much as possible in this facility is going to serve multi-purposes, multi-purposes. Okay, that it can change over so that teenagers can come and do this and it can switch over so that, so that stay-at-home moms or dads can come and, and have coffee and, and, and just hang out in the lobby so, so that this can happen and we can hold seminars over here and classes over here and do this for kids. And it's built for our community that we can draw people and use every square foot of that building as a tool 
to reach as many people as possible in many ways as possible. So we have to be careful. And here is my warning. We have got to be ready to grieve the loss of some of our preferences in order to celebrate the wins of our potential. It goes on in verse 5. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. The people you've said no for, the people who have said no, listen to that. Excitement and joy to interact with Jesus. Verse 7. But the people who were displeased, he has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Who was displeased? It was Jesus. Who expressed displeasure? It was the religious people. It was the ch church people. Because they thought Jesus' attention should be focused on them instead. Verse 8. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood up before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Oh my gosh. If I could have been a fly on the wall of that conversation. Luke doesn't tell us. Like what did Jesus and Zacchaeus talk about? In order for him to stand up in the middle of dinner and say, I want to give it all back. I want to give all of my wealth away. Jesus, I believe you. I trust you. Something happened. Something happened. Right? When we are for those who have said no, something happened in that conversation that changed Zacchaeus' life. And it happened when someone said yes to someone who had said no. Let me say something to you, those of you who have been around here a while, those of you who are part of White Oak. Um, and if you're not, maybe you're a guest with us or you're checking things out and, and I, I, I'm so glad you're here. And I want you to hear me say this to the rest of us, because if you decided to come back and maybe stick around here with us, this will at one point, sometime soon, apply to you too. The best kind of church for you to attend isn't one that caters to you, but instead invites you into the mission on focusing on those who are far from God. This is the mission of Jesus, to seek and save the lost. That's why White Oak exists. We're going to accomplish this, guys. One, by focusing on our potential. Let me give you the last two real quick. The second one is that we listen to people. The second one is that we listen. We don't just jump in with questions and a barrage of scripture quotes that, that, that will just make them feel better or point them in the right direction. When you listen to your friends, when you actually just spend time to listen to your friends and your coworkers and, and, and your friends on the team or your neighbors or, or your other family members, when you spend time to just listen, you begin to hear and eventually begin speaking about the, the pains that are in their life. Right? You begin to hear about the, the broken marriages, the pain of, of divorce, the, the, the sickness or, or loss of a loved one. You begin to th hear about loneliness or the work or relationship or the stress of taking care of aging parents or the stress of raising kids or the stress of still living at home with your parents. 
And you hear about these things when you listen. I love when Paul, um, Apostle Paul, when he is walking through the city of Athens, and, you, and we read about this in Acts chapter 17. When Paul's walking through the city of Athens, he's paying attention, he's listening, he's paying attention to, he sees all of these idols and these statues that the Athenians worship to this pantheon of Roman gods. And he pays attention to their needs, and he uses that to begin to point to Jesus. And this is where the common ground comes in. Listen, when we are for other people, we find common ground with them. And if we would just listen, you would find that you feel and know and have empathy with their pain and their struggles. You would find common ground because you know the experience of someone close to you who have battled through divorce. You know personally in your family what it feels like to get a diagnosis is to lose someone you love. You have felt lonely. You know what it's like, you know somebody who's struggled with a sexual identity. And you come to realize that we have common ground because we have similar pains, don't we? If we would just listen then we invite people into conversation. And once we invite people into conversation, that is when, number three, we speak. Look at what Paul did in Acts 17, 22. It's so great. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. He says, Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And in one of your altars, it had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one that I am telling you about. And Paul, in this beautiful narrative, launches in to the message and the hope of Jesus to these men and women, many of whom responded with great joy. Something very powerful happens when people who have said no realize that the church has said yes to them. And more importantly, that their Heavenly Father has said yes to them too. So here's what I want us to do. I want us just to take this time here in the next minute just to pray. God has blessed our church with extraordinary potential. Amen? An extraordinary potential. He has blessed us. There's a gift that he's given us. There are more people to reach. And there are thousands of people that surround this building whom we are for. So what do we do with that? I just want to ask us today just to pray. That in some way, you would move to join us. That you would join White Oak in what we're about. And for some of you, that might mean that you, for the first time in your life, that you just got to surrender your faith and your trust to Jesus. And for the first time in your, in your life as a believing person, you surrender to baptism and you just say, I don't understand it all, but I believe it and I want to be a part of it. I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that he has abundant life planned for me. And some of us, in order to join, you just say, I just want to join Jesus. And if that's the decision that you need to make, I encourage you, take out the connection card in your program, write that in there, and we will connect with you this week. We'll talk to you about what that means. But for others of us, I don't know what it means for you to join us, for you to take that next step. For some of you, it might just be starting to, to sacrificially give for the first time. 
I don't know what it means for some of us just to join us. Some of you might just be, you're tired of, of, of sitting on the sidelines and you, and you need to jump in to serve with us, to fuel the ministry that happens with your time and your energy and your talent here on a Sunday morning. And for some of us, maybe you're a guest here, and maybe if it were to join us, and my challenge to you to join us is just simply, it's a challenge for you just to come back next week. Just come again. I don't know what it means for you to join us. But we are for you. And we would love for you to join us in being for our community. I'm just going to ask you this, if you would pray with me. And I know, and, and I know, and if you're not comfortable getting down on your knees, believe me, I understand. You don't have any room in between your rows. And the floor is concrete there as well. Um, but if you want to, and if you feel comfortable, I'm going to ask you to get down on your knees. And we are going to pray for our community and for those who have said no. So if you would pray with me. Oh, Father God. <laughs> we humble ourselves before you, Father, because we realize that we are a church and a people that is broken and imperfect. That we have unintentionally and maybe even sometimes intentionally, both as an organization and as an individual, so we've said no to people who are hurting and broken, people you love desperately. So God, first we ask you to forgive us. And we repent of that. And we also tell you now, Father, that we trust that we are your church and your bride, that Jesus came and lived and died to empower us. So God, we ask you to empower us in something that feels so hard. God, give us the strength through your Holy Spirit, your church. For every decision that we make, Every dollar we give, every hour we serve, every teenager, every kid who walks through this door, every mom and dad or husband or wife, man and woman who comes through this place, every person that we know in our circles of influence in our relationships, Father, may we point all of those things to you. All of our energy and resources to you because you are for our community. God, empower us. We are your people. We are humbled that you ask us to join you in this mission. We love you, and we trust you in the name of Jesus. Amen.